Welcome everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. So we bring you the best of today's world influencers and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In this episode, we discuss taking responsibility for our relationships, but how much? As we continue to breach the hard questions here, this one's a doozy that massively affects our relationships. In this episode, we hear a six-minute message from Zig Ziglar where he shares a story and from it poses the question, why don't we treat everyone like they are a VIP in our lives? He cites the impact that our perspective of another holds in our relationships. From his message, I asked the Ziglar Show audience this question, how much responsibility do you feel you should take for the relationships in your life? from spouse to parent to coworkers and beyond. And boom, the responses came in right away. The majority were either saying 100% or 50%. But differentiations were made between relationships, especially regarding work or parenting and positions of authority. And I'll preface the show by saying that there's no black and white answer to this issue, but knowing what our belief is, our perspective, greatly influences the health of our relationships. It's a foundational topic we would all be best served to make a decision upon and be aware of. So we're going to get started after I share some products and services I think may be of value to you. One Saturday afternoon, uh, several years ago, I was coming back from out of town trip. I stopped by the office to pick up my mail And as I did so, Lisa Carpenter, who worked with us at that time, was walking out the door. And I said, Lisa, what are you doing here on Saturday afternoon? She said, well, I just came by to pick up the supplies I need for the training session I'm conducting this afternoon. All of a sudden, it hit me just like a ton of bricks. We had hired Lisa when she was still in school as a part-timer. She was a neat pleasant uh, student and a very bright worker. But I had in all of my travels, I had not spent a lot of time talking with Lisa and I had completely forgotten the fact that she was one of the most capable speakers and staff members we had. I had not in my mind kept pace with her growth. It's one of the most serious mistakes we make in management. That's one of the reasons that a lot of people go and seek greener pastures elsewhere because they say, well, I cannot get recognition here and respect for what I'm doing. That's a very important point. Now, let me stress here. You treat people like you see them, and the way you treat them determines that relationships. Uh, a, A number of years ago, A young lady went to work for the Hilton uh, hotel chain. She was doing quite well. She got word that uh, Mr. Hilton himself was going to be a guest in the hotel the next day. She had never seen him, and so she was nervous and uptight. And she asked other clerks there, have you ever seen Mr. Hilton? They had not seen him either. And she said that he was going to be a guest in the hotel. And she got all uptight. She said, oh boy, I hope that uh, I don't foul up if I'm the one who checks him in. Well, the next evening, uh, she got a call from Mr. Hilton. He said, you know, when I uh, checked in this afternoon, you were so professional, you were so gracious, you were so friendly. I am so delighted to have you as a member of the staff. 
Now, the interesting thing is she never knew that he had checked in. She had been treating everybody all day long, every male that checked in. She thought, well, baby, this is Milton Hilton. The thought hit me as I read that little example. Why don't we treat everybody like they're VIPs? Would it make a difference in the relationships we have with them? I think we all know the answer to that. Let me say that your happiness is determined more by the success of your relationships than any other single thing. I'll get into it later, but let me also say this. If you're not getting along well with the people who are important to you, you're one more miserable human being. Your relationships will have a direct bearing on your effectiveness on the job. They'll have a direct bearing on your health. They'll have a direct bearing on your happiness. They'll have a direct bearing on your hope and your security and every other thing. If the relationships are not going good, you start finding fault with everything you do. Now, you know, early on in the first session, we fitted you with a pair of glasses and we've already learned that the way you see your business is going to play a major role in how effective you are in that business. In other words, your business is not out there. Your business is right here between your ears. And the way you see yourself has a direct bearing on how effective you are in your relationships because if you can get along with you, then it's infinitely easier to get along with others. By now, you should be comfortable with the way you see yourself so you can easily adjust and properly see others. That's important because, again, the way you see them determines the way you treat them, and the way you treat them determines their performance. Now, nowhere, nowhere is discipline more important than it is in the way we deal with people. You know, when you meet somebody who's rude and nasty and obnoxious, the inclination is so strong to bite back at them, But the future that you have in a lot of companies is determined by that relationships. According to executive recruiters, seven people out of ten who lose their job lose it because they do not have the right kind of relationships. They're personality conflicts. Now, basically, we live in a self-centered, I want to be me, I want to be free society. That's what everybody, you know, let it all hang out. Let me express myself. Let me just insert a word here about the concept of freedom. A lot of the songs have the refrain, I want to be free. But you take the train off the tracks, it's free, but it can't go anywhere. You take the steering wheel out of the automobile, it's absolutely under the direction and control of no one, but it can't move. Think about it in this light. The sailor only has freedom of the seas when he or she has become an absolute slave to the compass. Until you're absolutely obedient to the compass, you've got to stay within sight of shore. Now, once you're obedient to that compass, then you can go anywhere in the world the boat your own will take you. When we become disciplined so that we do not utter everything that's on our mind, when we control our voice, then we can, in fact, have a better opportunity to get ahead in life. 
Do you respond uh, to the way people treat you or do you react to the way they treat you? Well, Tom, as we were just chatting about, you know, this question about how much responsibility we take in relationships, uh, like many of the deep topics that we end up here, I don't know if there's a black and white and, and I, for my, for myself, can't say that I'm trying to summarize this into, okay, with all that said, here's the rules. Uh, I wish we had those, but, uh, you know, it's a perspective that we do need to be cognizant of and be intentional. And that's the word that came to me as I was reading through everybody's comments that maybe the biggest win out of here is just knowing what our belief is and having an intentionality in our relationships of what we feel responsible for. What do you think? You know, I love that idea of first off being intentional and I think it even can be stronger. I think we can even define, you know, what is a healthy relationship? True. Uh, because it, you know, your question was how much responsibility do you feel should you take for the health of the relationships in your life? And too many of us uh, have been around and I'm not putting me in the bucket. I just talked to so many people where this is a huge life issue Yeah, where the relationships that they've grown up and around uh, aren't healthy. You know, they're toxic, they're one-sided, they're if-then statements. Uh, there's not a sense of unconditional love. There's not respect, uh, you know. And so in general, I would say, hey, I'm 100% responsible for my, for my part of the relationship. Yeah. Uh, and then you bring your stuff to the table and I can make suggestions and guide and do things that might help you. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's very, I, I can't be responsible for the choices that you make and the, what you do in the relationship. Well, going from your dad, Zig, from his message that we all just heard a moment ago, it, it did bring me to the concept of just influence. You know, I'm responsible for the influence that I have with people. And, and then going back to his story about the lady at the Hilton of saying, do I, do I give preferential treatment, you know, to some people, which I think we all do by nature, but gosh, I, I sometimes think back and go, if I was being videotaped, you know, how do I talk to my kids? Am I talking with it to them with the respect that I would talk with you, Tom Ziegler? And oftentimes, no, I allow myself to be less respectful, less honoring sometimes, you know, and just, we get home and, uh, you know, we just want to, can we not perform anymore? I, I think not. Well, let's dive into the comments here. You know, and, and I, I put some of the quick ones right out the bat. I mean, Thomas Zelensky, he says 100%. Keith Barton says eh, 50% at least. Tina Ruiz says all the responsibility. And then Tina Fox uh, just says too much. And I, I thought that was interesting, too much. And I thought, what a great place to start because – you know, here in our audience, uh, the Ziegler audience, I mean, people are here listening because they are doers. They are people who I think want to serve other people. And yet there's, pr well, and because of that, there's probably a good amount of people in there who had to some degree taken too much responsibility or, or actually that's what I wanted to pose too much responsibility or not the right kind of responsibility, maybe unhealthy responsibility, because I have done that. I have done that. I always struggle not to do that and take responsibility for other people's joy, their happiness, 
their feelings, their behavior, which I can't do. And yet I know that that is my propensity and I find myself grasping, grasping, wearing myself out. And it feels uh, insane because it is, we can't do that. So that's, you know, that's probably a red flag that a lot of people, when they hear this topic are thinking is I, I, I take too much responsibility. I take more than I should. And they're probably right. But is it too much or just the wrong kind? I'll throw that at you. It's probably both. Um, you know, my, my mission statement, which I, I get to say all the time is to create the atmosphere that allows you to become the person God created you to become. That's great. And so in a relationship, whether it's a spouse, a child, a friend, a coworker, you know, it's my responsibility to create the atmosphere, the environment, the surroundings that allows that person to become the person that God created them to, to be. Yeah. Right. And, but the thing is, is I'm not responsible for your happiness. And I, you know, I'm responsible to, to do the things, to be the influence, to set the example, to bring the tone, to create the atmosphere that brings the best out of you. And I think some people get irritated Uh, (laughs) in a lot of events, you know, where you can tell the people who paid hard earned money to come and they're just lapping up every, you know, every word, every, you know, they're just ringing as much as they can out of the conference. And then there's the people who got, you know, their boss said, you come or I'm firing you. And (laughs) they get irritated when I, you know, right. When, when I talk about, taking personal responsibility for these, you know, for the atmosphere that you create. I think what happens is, is we want the best for those, especially those we love and those we care about. And so the Ziegler audience, I'm sure probably leans toward, towards, you know, we might be enablers, Mm -hmm. right? So we pick up the slack. So when somebody has a, I'll call it a character challenge, um, where they're not following through on some character quality, uh, we tend to pick up the pieces and fall in behind them and try to make it right. <clears throat> when the reality is, is we're just enabling bad behavior to keep going on. And so that's because we claim sort some sort of responsibility for the outcomes. Yeah. Right. And gosh, you know, I had a, you know, I was talking to a good friend and, and, um, somebody in their families made some decisions and he's feeling terrible for it. And I'm like, man, you can't, you can't, you can't beat yourself up. Right. That's, that's their decision, but we have a relationship. And so we feel, especially as a parent, we feel some sort of responsibility towards it. Um, and in most cases, or in a lot of cases, there should be very little, if any responsibility towards it. Well, here's a, here's an admission, Tom. I don't think I've ever talked with you about this, but back when I was running free agent Academy, helping people transition who wanted to transition from employ, uh, traditional employment to self-employment, I hosted, uh, I think around 15 events out here in Colorado, we would take over a camp and uh, people would come there, stay there. And so it was a full, full court press of an event. I ran those things so unhealthfully from my perspective because I took so much responsibility for these people who were paying, you know, whatever it was, 5,000 or 500 or 2,000 bucks to come, whatever it was for the, that event. I took so much responsibility. 
I burnt myself out in a massive way. And I have not done an event in, uh, I can't remember how long now. And it was, it was just that it was taking way too much or, and an unhealthy approach to that, as opposed to saying, look, I am going to give my best. I love your perspective. I'm going to give the best atmosphere that I can, but what they get out of it, how much they invest, uh, in that is up to them. And I can't please everybody. I mean, I was rabid about making sure everybody was pleased. Uh, and it was, uh, it was too much. And I even got feedback from people a couple of times that I was just, I was putting too much into it. I was requiring too much. There was no downtime. It was full on, full on, full on. So that was a, a great lesson I had in that aspect, though. That was just a microcosm of who I was as an individual. I was also doing that in my family. Uh, well, here, here's another one. Uh, Brian Morris, he says a hundred percent, but this is interesting. If I say any less, then I can always blame the other person for the failure of the relationship. Well, that was an interesting response. If I don't say a hundred percent, so does he really think that, or is it just, I mean, how can you not? Because it gives room to blame the other person for the failure of a relationship. I mean, there's a great topic, Tom, right there. I mean, if a, if a relationship fails, I mean, can you, well, I'll put it that way. Can you do your best? Like you said, create the atmosphere, do your best and really do in all reality, a good job. And can a relationship fail? Well, of course. Um, so placing blame on that. I mean, can I, you know, there's where it gets again, there's the diciness of the subject. Yeah. You know, I'm going back to a theme I've been kind of meditating on and that is uh, that, there's this thing that we have, it's called expectations. And so when you put yeah. together an event and people are coming in from around the country and they've paid real money to be there, uh, your expectation is, man, this is going to be first class. It's going to be hitch free. It's going to be, everybody's going to just, it's good. They're going to think it's the best thing that's ever happened to them. And then there's uh, reality, right? And the reality is, is that, some people got sick on the way in and other people didn't sleep very good. And some people's flight got delayed and, you know, the food kind of got served a little bit late, you know, so that's reality. Mm -hmm. And, and the difference, the, the distance between reality and expectation, that's called the frustration zone. Mm -hmm. That's where frustration lives. And in a relationship, a very powerful, this is like a mental mind technique, uh, because our brain is an amazing thing and our mind controls our brain. Right. And so the job is, is we control our brain. It doesn't control us. So when you look at a relationship, what you've got to do is literally just kind of step back for a second and analyze your expectations. What would the ideal relationship be? But then you also have to analyze objectively, what's the reality? I mean, the reality is, is I only see this person once a month for a few hours. Yeah. Right. The reality is, is they're going through a stage of life that I hope I never have to go through because they're dealing with, you know, their own relationship breakup or job change or financial struggles or whatever. And so they're bringing all kinds of baggage into the conversation or the reality is, is that they didn't have a good role model. They didn't have a parent, uh, 
mentor or something like that along the way. When I take responsibility for creating the atmosphere based on the reality of who that other person is, then that allows me to not be consumed with what I think it should be, but to be focused on how do I help the situation that's real in front of me. And by the way, that technique of looking at the reality and looking at your expectation or your dream or your vision for what it could be, when you give those instructions to your brain, where it starts with reality and then says, how do we move it to the vision or the dream? That's when change happens. That's when good stuff happens. It's when we, it's when we only have the vision, but, but no deep look at the reality that we just spin our wheels and get upset because we're constantly disappointed. Well, you're talking about expectations are, uh, you know, fresh using that word frustration, the term I, or the statement I've often heard, and I'm sure other people have too, are expectations are premeditated resentments. Uh, I always liked that one or appreciated that one. And though I would go further say to some degree, it's the un uncommunicated expectations. Uh, that's another thing that I have learned the hard way is setting out the expectations, even in sales, you know, even whether you're selling a product, a service, uh, whatever, what are the expe expectations and setting those out saying, this is what you're going to get. And even this is what you're not going to get. And I, you could do that in any relationship, I guess, to some degree and set them out. So they are not then unsaid and end up with frustration, as you said, and, and bitterness, uh, well, goodness. Yeah. It's so much richness in what you just, uh, how you just described that. Well, hey, here, let me keep going here. Chris Hotz. He says, it seems like I can only, uh, own a hundred percent of my part, how I choose to relate or not relate, uh, is, is, is the, the biggest issue. I can't choose the other person's response that's on them. And so I asked him, I said, so then you're just basically saying 50%. He said, well, possibly there's also the indirect influence in which, you know, one influence, uh, for, for a person, uh, can impact the, you know, how they initiate the relationship or not. It's so complicated. I guess I'm comfortable with 50%. It's, it's interesting. People started to bumble on this just as I did reading it right there. You know, if I give a hundred percent of my part, isn't that still just 50%. And that was the common thing. I mean, if we went down and just did a survey right now, it would be a hundred percent or 50%, but everybody's talking about the same thing. I can own a hundred percent, but let's go back to what your dad said in that message of the power of the influence that we have, uh, is, I don't know if there's a percentage that we can put on that. And I still feel like we're back to, you know, I am a hundred percent responsible for my part, but I do want to give Tom some gravity to the influence I have over another person, though that then depends on what that, you know, relationship is. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this significant topic of how much responsibility we take in our relationships. Well, next we read a comment on a post where a guy differentiates the level of responsibility based on the role of the relationship and especially relationships where we are in a position of authority or not. Really interesting. We'll get right into it after a quick pause while I share some valuable products and services with you. You know what, let me, let me throw another, another piece in here that Brian Gross sent in because it taught, it, it really relates to that. He says, I don't think there's a hard number here. For example, as a boss or a parent, you are in authority. 
So to me, you by default will have over 50% and he has it in quotes, responsibility factor spouse relationships. If they are a true union and partnership are 50, 50 and a sign of a great marriage and ownership by both spouses. Uh, and he says, my relationship with God is hundred percent me, but going back to that, the, if we look at roles and different relationships, uh, I would say, gosh, you know, as a parent, to my kids, I do feel dramatically responsible for that relationship. I am not only the authority, I'm just older. Some of my kids are little kids and I do feel more. And that seems relevant because I have so much influence. I mean, Tom, when you have an employee, you're obviously in that authority role. And I would say you have you at Ziegler. I mean, you have, uh, you, you through all time, you know, at some point it was your dad, Zig, and then you, you set the tone. You do really uh, have a, a more than average responsibility role. So I like what Brian said in differentiating that. I do too. I like what Brian said. And also I wanted to uh, point out what Chris, he mentioned something very, very important. He said the, the words respond versus react. Hmm. And here's the thing. If your relationship is based on reality, you're in a far better position to respond to whatever happens. Right. 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 Because you're not going to be blindsided by disappointment or unmet expectations because your relationship's based on reality. And so there we go. Now in the, in the family relationship and the authority uh, kind of hierarchical boss employee relationship as the leader, uh, whether it's in the home or in the workplace, or let's say you're leading a, you know, a, a community group or whatever, you have the responsibility to initiate. Hmm. I mean, there's no way that you can look at your 11 year old daughter who just had a birthday and say, okay, you know, it's 50, 50 now, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to talk about guys, you got to bring it up to me. If you want to talk about college, you got to bring it up to me. If you want to talk about the hard things in life, you got to, that's not what it's about. Now, when we go out into the, the world of friends, um, it kind of goes back and forth. It might be 50, 50 on common interests, but if I'm an expert in something and you're not, I probably want to lead that conversation, right? I want to take more ownership of that. And so it does go back and forth a little bit. Uh, but whatever that is, I still like that idea that in order to influence, to be the example, it's always good for me to create an atmosphere that allows you to, it draws the best out of you. Now, that's what's interesting is my mission statement is not about enabling. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not about allowing unhealthy things to continue. Yeah. And that's where we get in trouble because ignoring unhealthy things in a relationship, depending on the size and relevance of the relationship, that just creates more problems down the road. If it's an acquaintance, that's a different story because we don't, you know, you don't have the relationship to go there. But you certainly can adjust your expectations to go, hey, we're going to disagree on that. And I'm not going there. And I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Well, your comment about, I'm going to paraphrase, being healthy enough to respond instead of react. And if anybody's listened to 
many of our shows, you'll hear that was a common focal point for uh, for your dad, Zig Ziglar, was being able to respond, and not react. I mean, we are talking about this. If we come, we're talking about you know fruit. How do we live out the fruit of this thing? But the root issue here, I mean, we are assuming a level of positive self-image, of confidence, of how needy are you in this relationship? And of course, that's going to get really uh, sketchy when we get to talking about our spousal relationships. How needy are there? Are you in that? And can you give a hundred percent? Can you have, and we guess when we talk about that, let's hit on some of the qualities there. And you and I mentioned it as we were chatting before the show here. Well, and, and I think Zig did in the, in the message of, uh, you know, grace and forgiveness and, yeah, th- again, how much neediness I think about that. I mean, those are the issues that are going to feed into whether we can even have the ability to come intentionally and healthfully to a relationship with this and even discuss this perspective. Uh, cause we are talking about, yeah, well, you talk, you mentioned an 11 year old girl, uh, that you know, yesterday was my little girls or one of my girls, but her 11 year old birthday and we went out and talked and yeah, I felt the responsibility to initiate, to do those things. And I know my influence is so much, probably more than, you know, than it should be. Um, and that is, and I was totally confident, totally confident in that sitting with her. Do I have the same confidence with my wife? Uh, that's, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road with a lot of people. Do I have that same uh, confidence there? Hopefully so, but that's where a lot, it gets messy. And with other people, with family, with close friends, with coworkers, with bosses and managers, we hear so much there about unhealthy relationships there, where we would say, we would tend to put the emphasis on that leader, the person in authority. And yet if you're the employee, you don't have a, you don't have uh, control over that but then we're back to ourselves and our own responsibility. Are we being above reproach? Are we doing the best again? Are we taking response? I guess that just like uh, Tom, the aspect of if, if you're an employee, your best bet is to work like you're an employer to take that level of responsibility. Would you pick up a piece of toilet paper uh, stuck in the hallway? If you're an employee, uh, the employer would by golly, but would the employee to act like that? So even in the relationship, to come to it with that, come to it, whether you think you have the authority, whether you think you have that much influence to act like you do. Well, I guess the question would be, what's the downside, right? Yeah. What's the downside? You know, Bob Bodine, um, he has this great phrase that he says, he says, a, a true friend can repeat back to you the song of your heart when you forget the words. Goodness. That's a big statement. Right. That's a true friend. And so I was just thinking about, uh, let's go to intimate relationships, right? When, when you have your very best friend, your spouse, somebody who you're close to, um, life is not supposed to be 50, 50 all the time. There are times when I've been dragging, when I needed help, where my wife carried more of the relationship to me than I did to her. That's what a true friend is about. And so, in the best of times when everything's good, when, you know, when, when we're just chugging along, yeah, we own a hundred percent of ours and it's great if we initiate and lead wherever we should. Uh, but in a real relationship, I think any, you know, mom and dad were married for 66 years and I know there were times when, when dad supported mom. And, and then I know there were times when mom supported dad, you know, so it wasn't yeah. this 50, 50 because grief is, 
grief isn't 50 50 you know i mean you know it, everybody gets impacted differently on different things and so our goal is to initiate be 100 percent responsible for ourselves take the lead uh but when we get that true relationship that true intimate friendship uh then we can rest because yeah. to me the greatest joy in a in a great relationship uh is that you carry the burdens for each other when they get too heavy for those you love. Well, let's, let's hit right on. Let's stick with that tangent, Tom, that you brought us to. So Ashley Logston, which happens to be my sister, she says a hundred percent responsible uh, for your actions and investment. Yet relationships are a two way street. You cannot force someone to care, love, or try. So ultimately it takes a hundred percent personal responsibility from both people to step up, to maintain and grow a healthy relationship. Now we'd all love to be there in all, all of our relationships to be with people who were a hundred percent reciprocal. Let's use that word. And that's great. And we should all strive for that and have that at least in some of the relationships in our lives. And I have that in multiple relationships, but not all of them. And there are some people listening right now who don't really have that anywhere in any relationship. And if that, uh, if you're hearing this and you find yourself in that space, one, I would say that needs to be a primary focal point of your life just for your own health and well-being is to find that. But if you don't, then what do you do? Um, and I think that's where it's going to be difficult for folks here in this Tom is when you're, when you're in one, that's not a hundred percent and you know, it's not, it's not fully reciprocated. Then you do feel like you just mentioned that a minute ago. Oh, it's, yeah, I think you said the word easy. It just, it feels it's easier when it's not, when you're having to, well, I don't like to use the word perform, but you're having to lift yourself up and be the bigger person in essence, constantly that is tiring. And then of course there's the, and you mentioned this to some degree before there is some level of man, if the relationship is, is lacking so much, do you need it? Should you try to remove yourself from it? I think we all have, that comes, comes to the issue of, you know, our, is our, are our emotions finite is our ability to perform at that level finite. And I would say it is, um, and there, and there's the, you know, there's the, there's the rub that a lot of people are going to hear. And I don't have an easy answer for it, Tom. I did this again, this wasn't a black and white of, okay, here's how you should treat it. But we are talking about, well, I'll go back to Zig's thing again, uh, that I love on the Hilton lady of, can we treat everybody like a VIP? Why, why wouldn't we? Of course, then you're going to get into grace and forgiveness, I guess, huh? Yeah. You know, uh, we all want the ideal and I'll just, I'll kind of create what I think is the ideal. Okay. And Imagine two people in a relationship and their number one goal is to create the atmosphere that allows the other person to become the person God created them to become. So a man, a husband, that's his goal for his wife and the wife's goal for the husband, right? So you got two people in there, their focus is what can I do that will allow the person I love the most to become the person that God created them to become? That's the ideal. Your best friend, you can do the same thing with. Like, and so the way people answer questions will tell you a lot about who they are and, mm -hmm. and, and what they're about. So if you're in a relationship and you're like, you know, I don't think it's that way. Well, first, you've got to do self-evaluation. Are you cr creating that for them? 
because it's going to be hard for you to go to them and say, hey, what do you think about this if you're not in the game doing it? Yeah. Right? And then if you are in the game doing it, but you're not feeling the love back, you go to them and, and you just say something like, you know, I was thinking about this. Does this sound like a reasonable thing? If two people did this for each other, what would the upside be? And let them talk. And then say, what happens if one of the two is kind of more self-motivated and getting what they want done at the expense of the other person? What happens right. to that relationship? Right. Okay. So we have that dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we do? Hey, what if we tried to do this? And you say, hey, you've got my permission. If, I, if, if I'm not doing this, call me out. And then the response that they give back, they should say something. Hey, likewise. Right. But we've got to be ready to play. We've got to be ready to do that. And so if our expectation is that they're going to do that, but we've never communicated that yeah. expectation, what did you say about that earlier? Uh, resentment. Resentment comes. So now we communicate it. So now we're accountable to our words mm -hmm. and what we've got to do and what we've got to follow through with. Well, that is stout. Well, hey, that's that's convicting. And on that note, Mike Evans here, he says, according to Jesus, the first thing he ever addressed in his public life, God is more interested in our relationships to each other than he is in receiving offerings, sacrifices, or worship. If you're not right with your brother, go get from a scripture, folks, if you don't know. If you're not right with your brother, go get it fixed before anything else. Uh, Mike goes on to say, so though I don't think scripture says you're responsible for the relationship to work, you are responsible for doing everything God wants you to do to make healthy relationships. And that has always been so significant, uh, and convicting for me, Tom, as I go about trying to do the good things in my life, do I have unresolved conflict? Do I have bitterness? Do I have unforgiveness towards someone in my life? And of course, the more intimate, the more uh, intense or more acute that issue is. And to take that scripture verbatim, to take it realistically and to say, look, before I go off and do this great thing, I need to go take care of the relationships in my life. Even if that means I can't fix it, even if, I mean, you, how many times have you heard that people who have gone back to ask forgiveness for somebody or to confess or admit something? And it's not always some Pollyanna story. If they did it and the heavens parted, the hallelujah chorus came on, the relationship was restored and everybody lived happily ever after. Sometimes they've done that because it's the right things to think to do. It didn't fix the relationship and yet it might've fixed our heart. You know, forgiveness is one of those things uh, where in a lot of cases, it's extremely difficult. You've been uh, intentionally hurt by someone and yeah. we forgive them a lot. Of, in, in a lot of cases for me, I say, hey, your forgiveness is it's not for them. It's for you and your relationship to yourself and your relationship to God. And you, you don't uh, forgiveness is not saying, hey, what you did wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's a big difference. That's, that's True. not what forgiveness is. For, forgiveness is simply saying, man, I, I just want you to know, I've, I forgive you. I don't know what's going on in your life uh, to do something like this, but I've moved on. And it's to release you from that. Cause we can't, we can't carry that. 
And then when we go and ask for forgiveness from somebody because we feel like we've hurt them, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, uh, it doesn't always turn out, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just said, it doesn't always turn out. And so once again, our responsibilities is to create the atmosphere. Yeah. And once we do that, then the rest of it's up to them. Well, this is very Ziegler-esque right here. Marianne shuts. She says, you reap what you sow. It depends. Well, then she says, you reap what you sow. And I want to stick there in just a second. But she says, it depends on how much you value your relationships. If you need to make a lot of withdrawals, then I believe you need to balance that with deposits. That was interesting. Just as looking again at the intensity, I guess, of some relationships. But back there, just to you reap what you sow. If we believe that, if we believe that bigger than just that specific relationship that overall you reap what you sow. And if you are reaping goodness uh, to everyone that you are ultimately going to receive goodness again, back to that thing of why wouldn't we go forward with that thought? And I often, again, back to my little mind games, I often think if I was being videotaped in my office, in my home, uh, out to dinner with a server uh, at the checkout counter at the grocery how would I, would I be seen treating everyone like a VIP? And, you know, even as I say that, Tom, I think that I would be seen well, but do I treat everyone with the same level? No, it's convicting just to think about, do I take that, especially as an introvert, uh, I'm prone to hiding. Uh, and, you know, do I make the effort to bless somebody, to speak well, to lift them up, to encourage them, uh, to be above, again, above reproach, to treat them like a VIP and who knows what I've missed out on or what I am missing out on if I don't do that. And I do believe that. I know you do too, from a faith-based standpoint. And I think even outside of that, that we all know we reap what we sow. If we really took that to heart, that I am going to get back ultimately what I sow in, when would I ever not treat somebody as if it was Jesus in sheep's clothing or however that scripture is? Yeah. yeah. You know, this is one of the mind games I play. Um, I compare uh, the length of eternity to our life on earth. Okay. Okay. It's a lot longer. Eternity's longer, right? Yeah. Like a lot longer. Like I'm a nerd and I start to put my head around it and I can't even get my arm. I mean, it's like incomprehensible. So then the question becomes... If I believe in eternity, and if I believe there's any connection between what I do here and eternity, why would I do anything that didn't benefit eternity? And you know what? I believe our relationships are about the only thing that we're going to carry from the life we know into eternity. Yeah. <laughs> So to me, that's kind of a big one. What could, you know, what is it that we're doing on a daily basis that's building that value? Well, and it's interesting when you say that, I think of, I mean, what do people do that's not for a relational benefit? Even those people who will, I'll do a stereotype stuff we see in the movies or hear about, you know, with the, the wealthy, affluent celebrities, famous people or whatever, where they have lost the intimate relationships of our, of their lives. But it was in pursuit of relationships, trying to achieve X, Y, Z in their lives for what? 
for relationship, for whether it's bragging status, stuff that we're going to give a negative label to, but it's still a desire for relationship. Back to what you said, is there really anything that we desire? Nobody's trying to buy an Island, have a Ferrari, have a mansion, uh, you know, be, be famous, have a best selling book, uh, so that nobody knows. I mean, we don't, and that, that sounds bad, but we all want that even from an altruistic standpoint, I want to love my kids. Well, and of course I want their love back. I want my spouse's love back. I want your love back, Tom. It's not a one-sided relationship. And I'm so grateful for that. I wish I was big enough to say I'm doing everything hundred percent altruistically, but no, it is for a payout. Let's go back to your dad's favorite guiding quote. You can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Well, it's still a self-interested perspective, but gosh, and I, we don't have to go into this doctrine, but I had it preached one time that we serve a self-interested God. Look at the scripture and he wanted our devotion. He wanted our praise. He wanted our things and he made us in his image. Of course we want those things. Uh, and so let's have them in a healthy way, right? That's right. You know, it seems like I read something years ago about uh, sociopaths, yeah. and there's a high percentage of them that are great citizens because they figured out that life is better when they do the things that make great relationships, mm-hmm. even though their motive is fairly narcissistic. So isn't that interesting? So really, when you think about it, uh, the more we can do to build healthy relationships, the better our life is going to be. And if our motive is pure, then that's a whole nother level. Okay. Because even those who don't have good motives necessarily have figured out that, wait a second, you can only destroy so many relationships before life's pretty tough. That's a huge statement right there. And you, what you just said, Tom, we have an upcoming show And as of this show, this is episode 726, and I'm not quick enough to pull it up. I think it's in the next 30, 60 days. We have a show coming up with Robin Dreek. He uh, was with the CIA. He's with counterintelligence. And uh, one of his primary roles was recruiting spies. So really in depth, but his, his perspective or his message is on relationships. And he talked about that, how to gain trust, the things that you do. This is classic uh, you know, secrets of closing the sale, uh, type of messaging. And we talked about though, that obviously he could use those perspectives, those tactics to manipulate and persuade. And if that was to get information out of a bad guy, he could use it in that light, but they were the, still the same strategies that you use for the relationships you care about and you love. And the, obviously it's going to pan out that person's, you're going to be known long-term, whether you're just a con artist or, or not. But the, the, the aspects, the, again, the strategies are still the same. Uh, they really are, whether you're going to use them for, for good or for bad. Um, all right, I got one more just because I'm biased. And it's from Caleb Miller, my oldest son. He says this topic, which for context, he is 24. Uh, this topic has actually been heavily on my mind lately. I believe I'm hundred percent responsible, but so is the other person. Obviously I don't have the responsibility of a spousal relationship yet, but in any relationship, I'm hundred percent responsible for the closeness, authenticity, and truth of the relationship. And so is the other person. If one of us is not hundred percent invested 
and simply real and true with everything, the relationship as a whole will not be as healthy as it could be and should be. Even if it's someone I don't spend a lot of time with and I'm not super close with, there can still be 100% truth of character and unveiled openness. Anything less is just untrue to the reality of who we are as humans. So that was interesting to me because he fits in the millennial demographic there. And there's such a hunger, it seems, and we're even using the word of authenticity at the We hear, read that a lot. The millennials, they want authenticity. And, you know, Bray Brown right now is a phenomenon in her message of vulnerability. And I'm starting to hear that in so many different messages, authenticity and vulnerability. And I want to elevate that uh, Tom, but then also, especially as he talks about, even if it's someone I don't spend a lot of time with, I mean, there is still a place for discerning, you know, in the relationship, how much vulnerability, how much openness, because we've had lots of discussions. We had an interview recently, actually it was, it was with, uh, uh, Phil Jones. I think it was episode 720. It might've even been 725, uh, of, with Phil Jones, where he talked about a scar that he carries for life is what he said from sharing some hopes and dreams with people close to him. And he got criticized. He said it scarred him for life. And we talked about that. He didn't say it stung in the moment, but now that he's made it, it's no big deal. He says, no, it scarred him for life. And now he is discerning with who he is fully open with. So it's not to say that you'd be inauthentic with some people and not have vulnerability, but that is something that people out there are going to hear that though. They've been burned with it as well. Um, I'll just throw that at you, Tom. All right. So, you know, first off, let me just say this. It's clear that uh, Caleb has gotten, gotten all of his wisdom and intelligence from you. Oh, of course. That's why I read it because Terry still has hers. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> sorry. I just couldn't, I know, I know, you know, I love this. And that's, that goes back to the difference between expectation and reality. Yeah. Right. Discernment is around reality. Um, and boy, that's a tough one because we had a, an unrealistic expectation of who we shared our dream with. Yeah. Um, and we teach that when we teach goal setting and we teach, Hey, writing a dream down and really going through the process. Is this really what I want? And then going through the filter of the questions to go and get it. We then caution people to be very selective in who you share your go up goals and dreams with a give up goal. Like I want to lose weight or I want to quit smoking. You share with everybody because you want a lot of accountability partners. Uh, but your go up goals, these are people who are 100% in your corner. Hmm. And I don't think there's many th wounds deeper than somebody who you thought was a hundred percent in your corner. And then they do something that betrays that. Yeah. So I, I get that wound. Um, and that's the, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, my dad was so resilient, resilient, um, because whatever setback it was, he just kind of walked, he just kept moving. <laughs> He's like, well, I don't care if they believe in it or that happened or whatever. I'm going after it. I just have to go at it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. uh, because he was so, con he was so strong in his commitment to it because it was bathed in a relationship with God. 
Now there were discernment came in when he would pursue people that God put in his path that he felt like had discernment and he would go and get their direction and opinions on it. Uh, But I never saw any of those responses crafted in a way that would create a wound. Yeah. Well, and just to clarify, I said uh, the, the show was 723 with Phil M. Jones, and that was a significant part of the show. Well, and I think that, the, that there's been some interesting clarifications, even for myself, as we've read through the responses here, that there's relevance to discern the roles we have in certain relationships and what we want out of those. Back to the expectations, uh, Tom, I didn't have that mapped out. That's why these candid Q and a shows are what they are, but knowing what are the expectations, uh, but then back to the, you know, treating, I think that again, where I'm most convicted is just back to Zig's message of treating everyone like a VIP, like they are a person that you want to impress, that you want to care for, whether it's your self own self-interest or if it's completely altruistic either way. And then back to uh, what Marianne said, you reap what you sow. I mean, to some degree, Tom, I don't know what is more convicting than that, even if it's not from that specific person, uh, but it's, you know, uh, from a faith-based standpoint or those who just think it's a cosmic thing that you reap what you reap, what you sow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing your text here on the, uh, the, the yard people. Absolutely. Gosh, did you hear, so let me say the yard people, how you treat them. There was the, and I don't have it right in front of me either folks, but if you didn't hear the interview with Guy Kawasaki, he tells a really funny story there. So he's Asian and he's in this, you know, an affluent neighborhood where he lives and he's out, he enjoys doing his own yard work. He's out trimming the hedges and, uh, you know, an affluent white lady walks by and asks him something, the effect of how much he charges to do that, assuming that, this, you know, that, that he's, uh, just a, a yard worker and he was and the funny part of it too, was not only that happened, but that he related it later to his dad who was Asian and involved in the old, you know, wars and whatever, and expected to hear some, you know, frustration from his dad. And his dad said, well, mathematically speaking, she was correct in that assumption in that neighborhood, you know, that you're an Asian guy, that you're the hedge trimmer. Uh, so funny story and a neat perspective from him on having grace for people. And especially in this time we are now, that seems so volatile. Everybody's offended. Uh, that is, that is the, that's the fad right now. Yeah. And, and I say that I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone. My gosh, being offended is, uh, feels like it's wrecking us right now. And it sure doesn't have any place in being there a hundred percent for your side of any relationship. I don't know if there's any, any of us that can't take that home and uh, be a little better, Tom. Yep. You know that I'm just going to smile. I'll close with this story. Uh, Years ago, this is probably 40 years ago, 30 dad had a red uh, jacket, like a sports coat, looked real sharp. Uh, But it was also in similar in color to what, hotel staff would wear. <laughs> <laughs> so he stayed at a hotel and the, this lady said, Hey, can you help me with my bag? And so of course dad does it. And, uh, so they, they, they tried to tip him and he's like, Oh no, I'm staying here too. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> but you know, dad, he loved those situations yeah. because he knew it'd be a great story. That's right. A great. Story. So, 
whenever you get in a situation like that, just, just pre-program your response to, oh man, this is going to be a great story. Yeah. And then later on, I know dad told that story, Chris Dunham, who traveled with dad for 20 plus years, uh, Chris is from India. And so he was waiting outside uh, for the shuttle van from the hotel to the airport. Uh, and as he was waiting there, guests started coming up and saying, hey, could you put this bag in the back for me? <laughs> so he loads up the back of the shuttle van and then the driver comes around and closes all the doors. And then Chris gets on the van and he's sitting next to one of them. And they look at him and they go, uh, you don't work for the hotel, do you? <laughs> the guy goes, no. <laughs> or Chris goes, no. And then he looks at him and says, and you're not getting your money back either. <laughs> That's excellent. He says, I get, Chris is like, I get paid to speak and they tip me too. <laughs> it's uh, a great story. That There you go. You reap what you sow. Great ending. Tom, as always, uh, thanks. And thanks for everybody who gave these responses. What? An incredibly important topic. So does this have you thinking differently about how you perceive and structure your relationships, the responsibility that you take? I really hope so. It is just, again, a root of most of our joy and fulfillment or lack thereof in our lives. Well, coming up next in episode 727, Quit living a fragile life. We live in a time of more conveniences, automation, safety, knowledge, and creature comforts than ever. In all reality, most of us have a buffet of resources that should make our lives today easier, stress-free, more peaceful than ever. Yet, we seem to be sicker and sadder than ever. As a matter of fact, in regards to personal growth and health and wellness, it's really difficult to find any stat where we are improving, which is astounding. Well, in this episode, renowned author, speaker, and podcaster, Neil Pasricha, believes a root issue is our lack of resilience. Well, so I looked up the official definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, uh, to be tough. But instead of pushing for anything great and invariably failing here and there and learning and getting tougher on the journey to success, uh, more and more, we're just striving to play it safe to get it right for the first time, not fail. Well, Neil showcases the tragedy of this and schools us on having a failure budget. Really interesting concept. It's just a needed and freeing message that Neil delivers in a beautiful paradigm. If you don't know Neil, he thinks, writes, and speaks about intentional living and is the New York Times bestselling author of five books, including his latest, You Are Awesome. Uh, his books, The Book of Awesome and The Happiness Equation, have together spent over 200 weeks on bestseller lists and have sold over 1 million copies. If you don't know, that's really, really, really rare. Uh, Neil hosts the Apple Best of 2018 award-winning podcast, Three Books, which features live conversations. He's had guests like Malcolm Gladwell, Judy Bloom, David Sedaris, Chris Anderson of TED. I encourage you to visit Neil, N-E-I-L dot blog and subscribe to his podcast, Three Books with Neil Pasricha, or just look for it wherever you get your podcast. And you can get his just released new book, You Are Awesome at neil.blog or wherever you buy books. Well, till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>